0: Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, What Would Jesus Undo? In this series, we'll open ourselves up to discover the knots in our lives that Jesus wants to undo so that we can live an authentic faith. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We'd love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. Well, good morning, church. Awesome. It's great to have you here with us today. So I I hope that you have your hearts prepared for this morning because we're going somewhere today. Drew, I don't don't think that they heard me. I said we're going somewhere today, church. Amen. If you're new with us, we're uh, at the last week of a series that we're doing. It's not called What Would Jesus Do, which is a phrase that a lot of us are familiar with, but it's called What Would Jesus Undo? And we're looking in this series, and this is the fourth week of this series, about the things that break Jesus' heart. If Jesus would look into your life, into your thoughts, into your actions, into your attitudes, into your postures, what would he undo? And so we've looked at topics like spiritual pride and indifference. And last week, Pastor David, our, our student pastor, shared an amazing message about hypocrisy. But today we're gonna to look at this this concept, this this phrase called hollow worship. And so before we dive in, there's this this funny thing I saw online um, about a year ago around Christmas time. Now I have this bad habit sometimes, my wife will tell you, it's a bad habit of, you know, when I'm in bed and I'm trying to kind of wind down over the night, I'll just, I'll be on my phone. It's not a good way to wind down, I know that, but it's just kind of this habit that I have. And so I'll be on Facebook and, you know, stalking a lot of you guys, I'm just kidding, but you know, I'll be looking through different things. But Facebook added this feature last year that has ruined my life in certain ways because basically before you just click on a video on Facebook, that would be it, and you're done. Now they've upgraded it to where you click on a video, but then you have this feed now of all the related videos. And some of you know what I'm talking about, so you click on one video, and then it leads to another, and then it leads to another, and then somehow you're like, you know, watching videos about saving the orca whales in the Pacific, you have like, how did I get here? I have those moments a lot, like how did I get here watching this? It all started with a cute cat video, and now somewhere I'm here. But I found this video last year that, that made me laugh. I felt guilty about laughing because the, the foundation of it is, is horrible, but it made me laugh, and I think that you might laugh with me as well. But there's this video around Christmas time. I don't know where it originated, but there is this trend where parents were, were under the Christmas tree, they would wrap gifts, but they would wrap empty boxes, empty gifts. They'd wrap them up, make them look all nice, you know, wrapping paper, Christmas stuff, bows, all these things. Some of them had their kids' names, like, written on the gifts, and they'd put them under the Christmas tree, you know, like, in advance. But what they would do, this is horrible, but it's also brilliant, is when their kids would misbehave, they would take one of these empty gifts, and they would throw it into the fire. And so in their kids' minds, their parents are burning their presence because they're misbehaving. I mean, it's like it was tragic but hilarious. You know those kind of moments, like it's like I would never do that, but I'm gonna watch them and laugh at them doing it because they're horrible parents compared to us. But it was this whole thing where like so I'm, we're watching I'm watching these videos just laughing about these kids, and they're like worlds are coming to an end because these horrible parents are, are punishing their children by throwing their perceived Christmas presents into the fire, these empty gifts. But this is where I want to go today. And this is, That was a little bit of a stretch, but you'll get it. What if, what if the songs we sing, what if the sermons we preach, what if the acts of service that we do are often empty gifts to our God? That's the foundation, so I'm gonna repeat it this morning. What if the songs we sing, the sermons we preach, the acts of service that we do, are often empty gifts to our God? What if our lives are so wrapped up with a spiritual image on the outside, but sometimes inside, because our hearts are far from God, we are actually offering to God an empty gift? What would Jesus undo this morning? Jesus would undo something that we coin this term hollow worship or empty worship or as Jesus in his, in his own words calls it, worship in vain. What turns the heart of God? What would Jesus undo? It would be hollow worship. Today, we're going to dive right into Scripture. We're going to be in Matthew 15 for a bit, Matthew 15, starting in verse 1. And and we've been looking at, in this whole series, this dynamic between Jesus and the Pharisees, Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And so we've seen week in week, Jesus kind of challenging the norms of the religious law. And so we see that here is a very interesting conversation, kind of random, you know, at first look between Jesus and the Pharisees. And so we're going to pick up Matthew 15, verse one. It says this, then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked him, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. So they're coming to Jesus and they're saying, What's up with your guys? Like, we're eating, but they didn't wash their hands. And so, you know, I think that that's a valid question sometimes. I wouldn't necessarily ask that to somebody about adults, but, you know, we all know that we should wash our hands before we eat. Our hands can be gross, it's dirty, but it's not here. The context of the situation, if you dig deeper, shows that it had nothing to do with physical cleanliness in the way that we would think, but it has to do with ceremonial cleanliness. The obsession these Pharisees had was with this thing called ceremonial cleanliness. And so the question is, is why? Why did they care? Why did they care so much to point it out to Jesus, to call it his disciples? Because to a devout Jew, which these Pharisees were, they were the leaders of them. There were two ways to look at something. There were two categories for everything, clean and unclean. So, so animals, you have clean animals and unclean animals, food preparation, clean and unclean. You know, things that you touch could be clean or unclean. You know, if you had any type of bodily discharge, you were unclean. If you had a skin problem, you were unclean. If you touched, you know, a dead pig, you were unclean. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean. And the problem is, is that if you're unclean, uncleanliness, ceremonial uncleanliness was also contagious, in, in, in one way of thinking. It was like cooties in third grade where like if, if that boy has cooties, if you go near that boy, you catch cooties and everybody around you, now all your friends have cooties and it's like this cootie nightmare. It's a little different than that. But, but the problem was is that if you were unclean, you could transfer it. So let's look at, like, if, if there is a mouse, an unclean animal, and the mouse touched a the cup, then the cup was unclean. And if you touched the cup, then, then you were unclean because the cup was unclean. And if you touched your spouse, your spouse was unclean. And it was this cycle of cleanliness. But here's the problem if you are unclean, in the eyes of these Pharisees and devout Jewish people, you are unfit to worship. If you were unclean, you were unfit to worship because of the law. So the question would be, you know, what do you have to do to become clean again? You know, well, okay, so I'm unclean. I mean, obviously through that whole list, you can see that it was easy to become unclean. So what, what do I have to do to become clean? So there was this crazy ritual that they did, this ritual that was very important, and it was pretty elaborate. And so what they do is they, they took what was called, this is literally what it's called, it's called a quarter of a log of water. A quarter of a log of water. I told my band, if anybody can tell me what that is, I'll give them $10. I had to look it up. A quarter of a log of water, I'm no joking, is enough water to fill one and a half eggshells. That's, that's what it says. And so they took a quarter of a log, so an, um, one and a half eggshells of water, and then they would put their hands in the prayer emoji position. They put their hands like this. The younger people understood that joke. I'll explain it to you older people later. So they put their hands like this, and then they would have somebody else, you know, a friend or whoever, pour the quarter log of water over the top of their fingers. So their fingers would be pointing up towards the sky. Now, the reason that they did this is because when you poured water over unclean hands, the water became unclean, right? Because that's the whole transfer thing. And so it would drip to the ground. But like if their hands were like this, then the water would be clean. It would hit their unclean hands. It would drip down their arm. It would make their arm unclean. And it was this whole domino effect. So they would do this. They would let the water drip over their hands. And then they would do it again. They'd flip their hands over. And they'd put another quarter log over this hand. And then they would wipe their hands together. And they were considered clean. And a devout Jew honestly wouldn't just do this like once a day in the morning. They would do this so often. They would do it in between courses in a meal. Like they would do this ritual before they ate their burger and then do it before they ate their tater tots and then do it before they had their chocolate shake. Like it was something that they did all the time. So when they saw Jesus' followers not going through these rituals, they just didn't get it because their whole job was to, to follow the law and to, and to enforce the law to the letter of a T. And so they didn't understand. So they're asking Jesus, why don't your guys, why don't your people wash their hands? They're unclean. And Jesus unleashes on them. I love these moments that Jesus had. And he looks at them, and it's like you're not treating people right. You're not treating people with respect. You aren't showing love to others as we see as a commonality with the Pharisees. Your heart isn't connected to God. And here's the key. You're obsessing over the externals, but internally things aren't right. You're obsessing over the externals, but internally in your life things aren't right. He says this to, uh, to the Pharisees in Matthew 15, 7. He says, you hypocrites, you hypocrites. And then he quotes the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They give me lip service, but their hearts are far from me. And thus they worship me in vain. Their worship isn't pleasing to me. On the outside, it looks like worship. On the, I mean, this was an act of worship in their minds. On the outside, it looked like worship. But because the inside wasn't right, it was simply an empty gift. It was worship in vain. It was hollow worship. It's worship that doesn't touch the heart of God. So what would Jesus undo this morning? He would undo a show on the outside. He would undo a hypocritical expression. He would undo a pretend faith. He would undo a, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm kind of a Christian, but truly on the inside, your heart is very far from God. Now, church, I would say this morning that I think this is something that our church, being in leadership at this church for a long time, now this is something that our church can really grow in. And that's not me pointing fingers. That's me jumping down with you and saying, our church has so much room to grow in our passionate expression of worship to God. In fact, I actually believe that this is one of the the areas that all of us, because sometimes we look at topics that might be more relevant to, to some than others in different seasons of life, but this is a topic that every single one of us, no matter where we are in our faith journey, has room and potential to grow in. And so I want to talk for a few moments because we're using this term worship, but I want to talk for a few moments about what worship is and what worship isn't. Because I think that there's a big misconception, especially in church culture and in Christian culture with what worship truly is. See, a lot of times when we talk about worship, we talk about music right? We're thinking music. We're thinking, well, what just happened back here? That was worship. That was the worship part of the service. Now we're going to go to like the Bible part. And then, and we we think in these ways. And by the way, to give Chris a little credit, doing that little kick drum thing the whole time is like a workout. Okay. But so, but we, we, again, we say that this is worship. We think about things like style of music. Like I like this style of music, but I don't like that style of music. We think about the worship environment, like, you know, the worship environment should be reverent and should be honoring and respectful to God. Or maybe some of us think, and, and I'm more fall in this stream a little bit of, worship should be rowdy and it should be exciting and it should be passionate and we should go for it. You know, some of us, it's about song selection. I have this conversation a lot. You know, like, I, I wish that we did the actual worship. I wish that we did hymns. That's, that's real worship to me, so I wish old liturgical hymns, or, you know, I, I love the newer, relevant songs, and they speak to my heart. I have both of those conversations on a regular basis, so the real question is, which one is right? Because we have these conversations as this versus that, and this better than that, and this more valuable than that, but which is Right? How many of us this morning, by, by a raise of hands, how many of you have ever been to a service that worship looked different than it did this morning? Raise your hand. So we've all experienced worship and some of the diversity in that. And honestly, when you think about it, with all the different people all over the world, with different races, life experiences, cultural music even. You know, if you travel different areas, you hear just culturally music sounds different you realize that the creative ways to express worship to the goodness of our God are almost limitless all over the world. You know, I grew up uh, in this area. I grew up going to, you know, before Valleybrook was planted, you know, kind of in my elementary school years, I grew up going to a church that was way more traditional way more traditional than Valley Brook is today. And and the church has since kind of, you know, gone more contemporary, but they were very traditional. I grew up, my setting growing up was we would dress up for church. We'd we'd have a button-up shirt tucked in, slacks, nice dress shoes. We'd walk in, there'd be pews. You'd sit in the pews during worship time. This woman would play the organ and you'd take out the hymnal and you'd sing the different verses. And and that was worship. That's what I knew. And, And don't get me wrong. I'm not bagging that in any way. I'm not saying that that's bad. That was what I knew. I thought it was beautiful. There was something beautiful about standing around in a room of people and hearing voices lift like a choir, and it was just powerful. And so that's kind of my, my setting, and my family was involved in planting Valleybrook you know, over 18 years ago, and one of the hearts of Valleybrook was we were going to be kind of a younger and a little bit more contemporary church in the area. And so it started off like we were really edgy. We had a djembe. I played the djembe. I was the first drummer here at Valleybrook. Thank you very much. In middle school, I played the djembe, and, and so we but we were still like still pretty traditional, still very traditional, compared to you know where, where the Lord has led us and, and where we are today. But I remember, and some of you actually in this room might have been at this with me, but I remember early on we went to this conference, this worship conference. I was young, my dad had to go with me, so I was really young, I remember, and it was in this organization called Vineyard. Now, the Vineyard is is a great organization, it's a great movement of churches, but it's way more on the charismatic. End of the worship spectrum, way more rowdy, way more expressive. I didn't know what I was getting myself into going on this trip, because I grew up kind of more, you know, traditional and whatever. And so, so I go on this trip and I walk in this room, and like you know, a church is going to be rowdy when like you see the flags of the nations around, you know, the, the outside of the, the church. But I walk in, worship starts in like. I am like a sensory overload with what's happening. I mean, people are getting up, they're jumping, they're dancing, they're yelling, they're like raising their hands. I'm like, do they have a question? Like, then it happened. Then the the worship ribbons started coming out. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? People are running around with flags and worship ribbons. And then like, it was like a a Holy Spirit thing. There's this moment, no joke, where like probably 10 women all in the age of about 75 years old, all to save moment, whipped out their tambourines. And in unison, they just started going for it. So I'm sitting here like being the little ADD kid that I am. I'm like, what's happening? People are lying on the ground. People are jumping and yelling and running and dancing and all these things are happening. And I'm just weirded out. Just being, I'm confused. I'm like, that's not worship. Like, where's the hymnals? Like, there's words on this. What is going on? What's the rhythm thing? I don't get it. And so we went back and we debriefed as a group and, you know, it it was this moment where, but over the next few sessions, God did something cool in my heart. I was still weirded out in in that, that, honestly, because I had a lot of growing to do just in, in my perception of faith in God and worship and all those things. But I had this moment where I'm like, man, the passion in this room, the pure passion in this room is something I've never seen before. And the Lord, like, just did something in my heart to where, like, even my worship, I remember, like, and I was with my my dad, and, like, it was just, I remember sitting next to him, and, like, I think I raised my hands in worship for the first time. The Lord showed me something in that moment. See, again, we can talk about in worship, we can talk about liturgy and acapella and drums or no drums, electric guitars, no electric guitars, hats or no hats, Whatever. We can talk about traditional church or charismatic church. We can talk about 15 minutes of structured worship or two hours of free worship. We're not doing that this morning, don't worry. We have to acknowledge, though, this morning, church, that there are limitless ways that we can express our passion to God around the world. So, again, it comes back to the same question with so many ways, which is best? Right? I mean, I'm part of so many worship blogs, and because I, you know, usually, Pastor Clark is out this summer, usually I kind of sit in this role, and I love worship, I'm passionate about it, and so I study it, I'm a student of it, and it always is kind of like, which way is the best? And obviously, if something that you chose, you believe that it's the best way or the most effective, and so let's, let's take the example of traditional service versus charismatic, you know, kind of more, um, you know, reverent versus rowdy is, is what I like to use. Which is better? The answer is both. Or, Listen carefully. The answer is both or neither. Neither are right before God if the heart isn't right. See, in worship, we get caught in the weeds of all these other things that foundationally don't matter. Both or any expression of worship that honors God when our heart is connected to who he is, but no form of worship honors God if our heart is not right. Jesus said again, you know, you you honor me with your lips, you give me the lips, you say the right things, but your heart is far from me. Therefore, your worship is in vain. It's hollow. True worship is a reflection of a heart right before God. Let's think about it this way. I, I have two kids. I have a four-year-old named Grace and a one-year-old named Noah. And so if my two kids on Father's Day came to me, and they're like, Dad, we, we, we prepared you know, a song to, for you. We wrote it and prepared a song for you. They wouldn't say prepared, but we'll just go with that. We prepared a song for you, a four-year-old, to express our adoration for you. And so they, they got together and, and you know they they started singing, Dad, we love you and, and started singing a cappella. But what imagine if I was like, No, 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 no. You don't understand, kids. That's not the style I prefer. When you tell me how much you love me, you need to do it in the way that I prefer. So none of this acapella stuff. You know, I prefer having the right lights and the right atmosphere. I prefer having a praise band with big drums and electric guitars. I prefer, now one of you is going to have to be the worship leader. Who are we going to look to? So I prefer the worship leader. And, and because in the trend, you have to wear skinny jeans. You have to wear a really cool shirt. Uh-oh. But like, I would never say that. I, w- I would never do that. At the same time, let's look at it the other way. Imagine if they came before me, banging pots and pans. Dad, I love you, and like just like this rowdy expression. I'm like, I stopped them again. I'm like, no, 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 no kids. Your father prefers a much more austere and serene and reverent environment. I prefer if you read some liturgy first, uh, because liturgy turns my heart, and you express it in a way that truly brings honor to me in the way that I prefer. I would never say that. No father would ever say that. You know, one of my greatest memories with my kids, this was probably about a year, well, less less than a year, probably a couple months ago, we're in the kitchen and and my daughter's a a fireball. She's crazy. She's awesome. And she's running around and she's super creative. And she starts saying, dad, I love you. Dad, I love you. And there's this moment where my son, who he's holding himself up on the wall. He sees what she's doing. He starts going, "Ah! Ah!" he's screaming. And it was like beautiful. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, this is what being a dad's all about. Like it was so cool. True worship that pleases God, church isn't about the style of music. It's about the condition of the heart. What would Jesus undo? He would undo hollow worship. We need to understand that today that Christianity is not a label, it's not a hobby, it's not an interest, it's not something that we just do, it's not a certain part of our lives. But if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, then Christ is everything. Therefore, our worship isn't limited to the songs that we sing or a section of a service. Our worship is the life that we live. I'm going to invite part of the band back up as we Move in, And what I want to do in this moment is I want, to, I want to give you a moment to get your hearts prepared before we look into a little bit more of the practical application. I want to give you a moment to get prepared to think about who God is and visualize what he did for you. Because the way that we can get our hearts right before him is by reminding ourselves of who he is and what he's done. That God, through his son Jesus, the sinless and perfect son who was obedient to death on the cross, who suffered, bled, and spit upon and died, defeated death, hell, and the grave. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father in heaven. It says in the Bible that he's sitting next to God, interceding on our behalf. He's praying for us. That God didn't leave us alone. Jesus didn't leave us alone, but instead he sent the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead to dwell within each one of us. We need to remember that our worship is in view of who God is and what he's done. See, when your heart is right before him, sometimes you creatively express your worship, your love, and your praise to our God to give him honor. Because he's the only one that's worthy. So I guess the question this morning, and where we're going to land this morning, is how do we do that? We've talked a lot about what worship is not, but what does it look like? How do we do that in our daily lives? And again, at church, I said this before, I think that we all, myself at the forefront, have so much room to grow in our expression and our passion in worship in all these ways. So I wanted this morning, as the guys play behind me, I wanna give you some ways that we can grow in our worship. How do we express our worship? See, when our hearts are right before him, the first one is sometimes we bow in reverence. The psalmist said, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Every now and then, when you're so overwhelmed with who he is and what he's done, the only natural response is To kneel, We see that in in scripture when Peter fell in repentance. We see that with the wise men who came bearing gifts to the Savior King, the baby King in the manger and they brought and they knelt before him in reverence. It's those moments when you can't even stand so you fall down and you kneel. It's an act of submission and worship because of who God is. See, sometimes we kneel in adoration but the good news church is that you can choose to do it now or you will do it later. The Bible says Paul's talking to the church in Philippi and this Philippians, and he says that one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. See, in view of who God is and what he's done, sometimes we bow in reverence. Sometimes we lift our hands in adoration. Now, church, let me break a conception here. This is not a weird thing. It's not a charismatic thing. If anything, lifting your hands in worship is a Bible thing. If we see in Scripture, we see Paul in the New Testament he talks about lifting up of holy hands. We see David writing in the Psalms, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift my hands. See, sometimes you're just overwhelmed and you praise him. So I guess the cool thing is if you look at lifted hands, there's two key things that lifted hands symbolize in our culture of the world today. The first is this, you lift your hands when you're in a difficult place. You surrender. You give up. Sometimes for you, and I know for me in seasons of life, I've lifted my hands and I said, God, not my will, but yours, be done. You lift your hands and surrender. We see we lift our hands and surrender, but also when we lift our hands, we lift our hands in moments of victory. Have you ever been to a football game when when your team scores a touchdown? The automatic reaction, look at the crowd, is lifting the hands in victory. You're celebrating. Our team won. We won the victory. Here's the amazing thing, church. When we come before God and we lift up our holy hands, we get the same result at the same moment. I'm gonna say it again, when we come before God and we lift up our holy hands, we get the same result at the same moment. At the moment we lift and surrender, you experience the victory you have in Jesus Christ. The moment you lift your hands and surrender, you experience the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. We lift holy hands. Sometimes we kneel before him. Sometimes we dance in celebration. Sometimes it just hits our whole body and we can't stop. Scripture says in Psalm 149, let them praise his name with dancing. We've all danced before. Maybe it's like you're doing your happy dance when you, you, know, are, are, you got your new phone, you got your shoes, or you're eating a meal. That I, I dance when I eat good things. Like a, That's like my happy dance, my food dance. Maybe you danced at your wedding. Maybe you danced when you were a kid when your crush asked you out for the first time and you're just stoked. You dance when your team wins. Well, you know, honestly, sports is a crazy conundrum of like this celebration where your team wins and you'll like chest bump a total stranger because you're so excited. Even now, and then you see the goodness of God, you can't contain it for every now and then. David said, and I think this is key for some of you in this room this morning, that God turned his weeping into dancing. He turned his mourning into a moment of celebration. I don't know who I'm talking to today specifically, but I know someone in here has been forgiven of so much by the grace of Jesus that he's turned your sin into a moment of praise. He's turned your lowest moment into a moment of goodness. You've been set free, healed, and forgiven, and sometimes the only reaction is to dance. We bow in reverence. We lift our hands in adoration. We dance in celebration. Sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. The writers of Hebrews said, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. So in other words, we worship him when we feel him and we worship him when we don't. We worship him when we see the blessings all around us, and we worship Him when we are deeply hurting. We worship Him even when we're joyful, and we worship him when we're low. We choose even when we don't feel anything. We choose to worship, worship Him with a sacrifice of praise, because our worship isn't based on our circumstances. Our worship is based on his character. That's foundational church. Our worship isn't based on our circumstances. Our worship is based on his character. Maybe that's what some of you in this room here today will choose, that in the middle of your heartache, in the middle of your down moment, in the middle of these deep, dark valleys, you will choose, you will choose, intentionally choose to worship him with a sacrifice of praise. See, sometimes we worship him with a sacrifice of praise, but... Daily, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. See, worship isn't just something that we do. It's not just these actions, but worship is who we are. Because of who God is, the way we live becomes an act of worship. Romans 12:1. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper Worship. in view of who God is, in view of what he's done for you, your only response, the only natural response is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to him daily. God, I worship you in the way I live. I worship you in the job that I love. I worship you in the job that I hate. I worship you when I'm healthy. I worship you when I'm battling cancer. I worship you when I have plenty. And I worship you when I have a lack. I worship you when my relationships are great. And I worship you when I feel alone. Because worship isn't the songs we sing. It's the life that we live. Worship isn't the music out of my mouth. It's born out of my heart. And it's the way I live every single day. Church, can I ask you to stand this morning? See, I want to give you a moment to get your heart ready. I'm going to give you a chance to worship God, and we're going to go back into a portion of worship before we go into communion, which is another form of worship. But in order to prepare our hearts, we need to ask ourselves the question, who are you worshiping? Who will you worship? Who is God? God is our rock and our redeemer. God is our righteousness. God is our deliverer. God is our defense. God is our strength, our shield, our salvation. Who is our God? He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the good shepherd. He's the true vine. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Who is Jesus? He's the light of the world. He's the lamb of God. He's the lion of Judah, as we sang about. Who is God? God is all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's ever-present, he's Alpha and Omega, beginning and again. Jesus is the soon-returning, conquering King of Kings and Lord of Lord. And in view of who he is, we offer our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God because church, because worship isn't the songs that we sing, it's the lives that we live. So some of you this morning, and I'm going to ask you to be a little bold, some of you this morning, that you are followers of Jesus, you desire, your heart was tugged this morning, and you want to worship God more passionately. You want to pursue God. You're, you're identifying, All right, Lord, I'm not giving you everything. If that's you this morning, if you want to pursue God more, I'm not going to call you out, but I would ask you just to raise your hand. If you say, I want my worship to be more intimate, more passionate, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray over you this morning as you respond. Father, I thank you this morning for a group of people that desire to grow in our worship of you. Father, sometimes we bow before you in reverence. Sometimes we lift up holy hands. Sometimes we dance before you. But Lord, we pray that all the time we worship you in the way that we live. Father, help us make worshipers in the church, as the church, in the world, and in the way that we love. Lord, draw our hearts close to you so we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Stretch us, God. Challenge us, God. Push us, God, that we may never offer an empty gift, that we will never offer lip service to you. But Father, instead, our hearts would overflow with our love and our gratitude, and that would be our worship. Be pleased with our worship. God. So church, this morning, you can put your hands down. We're going to go somewhere this morning. I said this to begin, and I'm going to say this again to end. We're going to go somewhere this morning, but the question is, is your heart ready? Are you ready to worship? Because we're going to go into the presence of God. We're going to lift up holy hands, and I would invite you to join me on that adventure. So as we, before we sing, I want to read one more scripture as we prepare our hearts. Let me read this, it says, Great is the Lord, he is most worthy of praise. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. Tell all the nations the Lord reigns. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Give thanks, church, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his faithful love endures forever. Praise the Lord, God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people, and all the people shouted, amen. And praise the Lord, and all the people shouted, and all the people shouted. Yeah. Let's praise God together this morning. <sighs> Thank God's good. Worship isn't just the songs that we sing, but it's the posture of our hearts. My prayer this morning is that, that God spoke to you. My prayer this morning is that our church would move into a season where we don't care how we look, we don't care how it's perceived, but all we care about is passionately pursuing Jesus with all that we are. Because I guarantee you, church, if we can do that individually, And corporately, this region will be changed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just Connecticut, but New England, but the nation. And I firmly believe it begins, this revival that we talk about, I firmly believe it begins by refocusing our hearts on worship and what worship truly is. So this morning, I challenge you as you go. Consider these things. Pray on these things. Help this be a daily, Lord, let this be a daily reminder to worship God. Maybe it's worshiping him in surrender. Maybe it's worshiping him in victory. Maybe it's worshiping him in times of triumph. Maybe it's worshiping him in the midst of. But I'll tell you what, God is good. His love endures forever. He's never stopped loving you. Let me give you the blessing this morning, church. May the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. And may we worship him with our lives. Go in peace. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.